did any of you catch that Ravens game last week? You know, they were, they were playing the Detroit Lions. It's okay to clap for that, yeah. You know, they were playing the Detroit Lions, perhaps one of the worst football teams imaginable, and yet it came down to the very last second. You know, like, you watch the Ravens game on TV, it should come with a warning, like if you have heart conditions, you, you know... Uh, take precautions, but um, it, it came down to a record-breaking field goal, right, that the Ravens were able to finally come out of that with the win, um, but it shouldn't have ever come to that, because if you'd watch the game, you know, and there was a, a wide receiver, Marquise Brown, they call him Hollywood, right, Hollywood Brown, that uh, was thrown the ball at least twice, some you could argue three times, thrown the ball where it was definitely catchable, and had he have caught it, he'd have been in the end zone, game would have been over, right? Uh, three times, well, that, two times, possibly three times, uh, it would have been a sure thing. Had he have caught it, they would have scored, the game would have been over like at halftime. You don't really get a do-over in the game of football. You know, I, I think if you were to ask him uh, after that game, uh, would he have liked to have had a do-over? Uh, I think he would have said absolutely, because there's only so many times you can throw him the ball, he's going to drop it. Um, and so uh, that's what makes the game of golf so nice. And the game of golf, they have this thing called a mulligan. So if you, have a, you hit a bad shot, you just take a mulligan. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, it, wouldn't it be nice it, if you could have a mulligan for life? You know, like you get pulled over for speeding and the cop takes your information, goes back to his car, and then he comes back and he hands you a ticket and you're like, not today, officer. You just start ripping it up. I'm going to take a mulligan. It'd be awesome, right? Uh, That's just how it uh, goes. Or, you know, the bank calls and says, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, you've overdrafted on your bank account. Nope. Taking a mulligan, right? It'd just be so awesome if you could just take mulligans uh, in life. Well, Listen, if you were here last week, uh, we started this series called Runaway as we're studying through the book of Jonah. And last week we said Jonah, uh, he's a guy who starts off in chapter one running from God. And what we see here is that God gave uh, Jonah some mulligans, that uh, we all find ourselves at some point running for God. And through, uh, throughout history, humanity has found itself on more than one occasion running from God. And yet what we see running through this book is that while you can run from God, you can't outrun God. And so we're in chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open there to Jonah chapter 3 or just tap through on your Bible app. Uh, And in chapter 3, we have uh, God speaking uh, through Jonah. And it says this, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it this message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh, and he proclaimed uh, this message. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off the royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation uh, he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. 
but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways uh, and their violence. Who knows? God may relent yet with compassion. Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So don't miss this, right? Right at the beginning of chapter 3, it starts off by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. In other words, Jonah gets a do-over. He gets a mulligan. It may be one of the more hope-filled passages in the Old Testament. The word came to the uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's what the story's all about. And we said, if you understand the book of Jonah, you'll begin to understand a little bit about what the entire uh, Bible is trying to communicate. Because you see, this story of Jonah, it's not so much about Jonah running from God as it is about God pursuing Jonah. It's about the grace and the goodness of God in giving Jonah and the Ninevites and, and us a second chance and a third chance. And some of you might be saying, you know, I, I never get another chance. Uh, I'm not the kind of person that gets second chances, but that's not how God operates. It's not, it's not uh, what's going to happen for you. You know, I don't know a single parent who doesn't have a story of their child when they were little kind of wandering off, right? Uh, I mean, it just happens. It's what children do, right? They, they wander off. And it's the parent's job to kind of come after them and find them until they are safe and sound again. And that's what we see in the book of Jonah. We see it, that it's not just kids that wander off. It's uh, adults do this too. Adults go running off and our heavenly father pursues us a second time. And so after that divorce, God comes to you a second time. And after that abortion, God comes to you a second time. And after uh, that career that you put everything into failed, God comes to you a second time. And after that addiction uh, that has gripped you for years and you've been to rehab uh, more times than you have fingers, he comes to you again. Because he's the God of the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the fiftieth and the hundredth chance. If you have run away from your relationship with Jesus, if you've made decisions that have taken you down a path further uh, into rebellion than you ever thought that you would go, and if you're doing only what he asks, but you only do it out of a half-hearted obedience, know that you have not outrun the grasp of his grace. You have not overstepped the bounds of his mercy. And that's what we see in chapter 3. Is that the forgiveness of Jonah's sins qualified him for his present service. Reminds me of the apostle Peter, right? Some of you, you know the story that uh, Peter learned this lesson the hard way as well. That he not only ran from Jesus once, but he ran from Jesus three times in the same night. And what does Jesus do? Well, he comes to him and he forgives him, not just once, not just twice. He forgives him all three times. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And what follows is the stunning reminder of the grace and mercy that's available to all who have sinned. 
So we said this last week, but I think it still rings true here in Jonah chapter 3, and it's simply this, that if you're not dead, God's not done. And so we see God gave Jonah a second chance, but he also gives him, don't miss this, the same assignment. He gives him a second chance, but he also gives him the same assignment. Verse 2, go to the city, to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So this time he goes, right? And again, we said we know from chapter 4 he's not doing it with the right uh, motives, but he goes there to preach. Now, God gives Jonah the exact same command that we saw in chapter 1. And maybe Jonah was just hoping that God would have changed his mind, but God's purposes have not changed. His purpose endures, even in spite of our disobedience. Jonah must now go to Nineveh, and preach this message. And we see in what we see in verse 3 is that Jonah obeys. Now, it, the language here in the Hebrew, it doesn't communicate any kind of enthusiastic obedience, okay? He, Jonah's not excited to go uh, preach. It's actually just very literal. God says, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches. He does exactly what God requires, but only what God requires. It's like the student that asks the teacher, um, is a D passing? Like, you know, that's, that's what Jonah's doing here. He's like, what, how can I be obedient but do the very least possible so that I don't end up back in the belly of another fish, right? Uh, like, what's the bare requirement? And so, uh, now, Nineveh, it's a very large, it's an important city, but its inhabitants are the mortal enemies of the people of Israel, that Nineveh was the royal city of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire was built basically by military conquest. They used violence and intimidation to extend the boundaries of, of their reign. And Assyria had earned this reputation as a brutal and merciless opponent. Now, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you'll know that just a few decades after the story of Jonah, Assyria will destroy the northern uh, kingdom of Israel where Jonah is from. And so here you have Jonah, who's a Jew, and he's being called to head to the city and preach God's judgment on them. It would have been like watching a Jew uh, preaching in Berlin during World War II, or, or perhaps a, a, a a black man preaching in the deep south during the Civil War, right? Like God here is calling Jonah to go to the enemy, to his adversary. Now, while God gave Jonah a mulligan, he brought him back to the very same place that he started running. You see, verse 2 in chapter 3 is not any different than verse 2 in chapter 1. And what we see here is that delayed obedience does not change the destination. Delayed obedience does not change the destination. Once Jonah returned to God, he found himself full circle back at the place where he once again must choose obedience. And this time he goes and he preaches this message. Verse 4 tells us actually what Jonah said. It says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now in the Hebrew language, it's just five words, which by the way is what makes preachers crazy. It's like five words, that's it. All right, 40 more days and Kingsville will be destroyed. Have a great day, we'll see you next week. 
Make sure you come back because we don't have too many more Sundays left, right? That was it. That, that was the sermon for that week. So you have to ask yourself, do you really think Jonah was trying? <laughs> you think he was really trying to, to, to allow these people to have an opportunity to repent? Do you really think he wanted them to, to, for them to be afforded the same luxury of a do-over as he himself had just received? You know, there's a difference between a, a kid cleaning their room because they want a clean room and cleaning their room because their parents told them, you need to go clean your room. Am I right? And we know from chapter four that we'll get to next week that Jonah is still not pleased about this assignment. It's a five-word sermon, folks. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. I mean, where's God's love in that? Where's God's compassion and his grace and his forgiveness? This was a hellfire and brimstone sermon type stuff here. Certainly not what one might refer to as seeker sensitive, but Jonah's like, there you go, Lord, I did it. I did what you told me to do. I delivered this message to my enemies. All the while, he's hoping that God will actually make good on that message and destroy the city. So you know what happens because of this half-hearted sermon? Oh, it tells us in verse 5. It says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It's why this text drives preachers crazy. Because we sit there and we go, You mean that worked? Five words? Hellfire brimstone, that worked? You've got to be kidding me, right? Well, let me explain. You see, I see two amazing truths here on display in this message of Jonah in chapter 3. And the first one is simply this, is that God is already at work in the lives of everyone you meet. You see, just before Jonah comes onto the scene, you know what history was telling us was happening here? The first is that the city had just experienced two plagues. Two of them. It killed thousands and thousands in addition to a solar eclipse that just occurred. And this is a big deal to a group of people that worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. And if all that wasn't enough, there was this warrior tribe about 100 miles north. These barbaric tribes that were killing everything in its path. And they were headed straight to Assyria. You see, God was preparing them for Jonah's arrival. And when Jonah is doing the least amount... He could possibly do. They believe God's message. He preaches this five-word sermon, and the whole city believes. Because Jonah wasn't starting from scratch. He wasn't starting from scratch. Listen, when God puts a message for you to deliver to someone else, to share with that coworker or that friend, that loved one, that neighbor. Believe me when I say you are not starting from scratch. God has been preparing that person to hear that message that he's asked you to communicate. God's been preparing that person. Jonah's message was not uh, that great. Remember, five words. But he changed an entire generation, at least for one generation. 
Now, I want you to see something else here that in our culture, we've defined sin as simply horizontally, right? If I do something to you, 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 you know, I've sinned. Yet here in Jonah's message, their sin, Jonah said, is vertical. It's this vertical sin that they have sinned against the Lord, that their, their wickedness had literally stunk up to the highest heaven, that the stench was rising up into the heavens, that their offense was with God. You see, Jonah's message was not one of 15 ways for God to bless your life. It was not uh, how to live your best life now. Uh, Jonah's message that was first intended for himself was a message that then was to flow through him into the lives of others. And this message was simple. You have sinned against the living God and you need to repent. Now, what is repentance? It means I was running from God and now I've done a 180 and I'm running towards God. And that's simply what it means to repent. Now I said last week we can run from God in uh, our disobedience, but we can also run from God in our obedience. That there were two times Jonah wanted to die and the first time he was on a boat where he was running from God in his disobedience. But the second time he wants to die is in chapter 4 when he realizes that God is going to show mercy to Nineveh. And that time he was running from God in his obedience. And I said obedience is not just outright rebellion towards God but it's begrudging obedience. That Jonah does what God calls him to do, yet he still wants to die. Now, of course, he obeys God, but he doesn't do it with his whole heart. He doesn't do it with the right reason. He only obeys out of obligation. Folks, I I don't want you to miss this because I, I, I see this happen so many times in the church. I want you to know something, that ministry and mission... It's a get to. We get to do ministry. We get to share this good news of God's grace that is available to us only through Jesus. It's not an obligation. It's a get to. We get to share our faith. Why? Because we love our Heavenly Father and because it's good news. And when we do, it changes people. When God's message goes out, it changes people. The Ninevites believed God. Can you believe that? Well, we should. We should because when God's message is sent, it changes people. Let me give you a quick rundown on how this happened in our country. It happened in the 18th and 19th century. Uh, Church historians call this the Great Awakening. It's where the Restoration Movement began, which is where uh, what this church is a part of. Uh, It started back in the 18th, 19th century. In the Northeast, before the Great Awakening, these three institutions of higher learning, Harvard and Yale, both founded by Presbyterians. They founded, uh, believe it or not, It was founded to train pastors uh, for ministry. You have William and Mary founded by the Anglicans. And when when Christians who were obedient uh, came with God's message, 50,000 converts swept into the kingdom of God. In 1741, Princeton University was found. 1746, King College founded, became Columbia University. 
You have Queens University. You, you see what happens when revival comes? People don't turn their brains off. They turn them on. They turn their brains off. They turn them on. People want to learn and to grow and to develop and research happens. Why do you think there's so many hospitals across our country with names of saints attached to the walls? Now they're all rebranding what that's about. You know, that's a different story. But, you know, when Christians obey God, God's message of revival, it takes place and research and education and learning happens. Now, that's not what's taught, but that's what history shows had happened. You get to social issues. It was Christians who would friend the Indians. And when people would say they're animals, they're not even human because they had to find some reason to justify their behavior. It was Christians that came along and said, no, they are humans. They have worth. And we're going to start churches in your colonies. And Jonathan Edwards and many others did this. And now we, we bring our 21st century sensibility back to this. But back then, that was radical stuff. And John Wesley, who's on the other side of the pond in England, when he was born, four out of five people were born into horrible poverty. So Wesley comes and he begins starting and planting churches in England, mostly Methodist churches. And all of a sudden people are literate and they're reading their Bibles and they're able to get jobs that they couldn't have gotten before. In fact, scholars have carved out a whole section on this, crediting Wesley for saving England Wesley influenced William Wilberforce, who single-handedly abolished the slave trade in England, and and then goes on to influence Abraham Lincoln in addressing slavery in our country. Folks, it's what happens when we, like Jonah, are obedient and we share God's message with others. Revival breaks out. When people radically obey God and share his message with the world, the world changes for the better. And he can do it in an instant. You can do it just like that when we share God's message with others because you're not starting from scratch. God's been working on and preparing that person for this message. The second amazing truth I see here in Jonah chapter 3 is simply this, is that God uses weak people to accomplish his purposes. He uses weak people to accomplish his purposes. Matthew 12 verse 38 says this, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, meaning to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Well, Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation, and they will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So, so these teachers of the law, they, they come to Jesus and they want him to perform you know, these miracles and to give them a sign. And Jesus says, no sign's going to be given except that the sign of Jonah. Well, what is the sign of Jonah? What is that? What's well, the good news? The sign of Jonah is that God uses weakness to accomplish his purpose. He uses unperfect people broken, weak people to accomplish his purposes. It says that God came to Jonah a second time, but it wasn't the last time he had to come to Jonah. He had to come to him again because Jonah still did not have a full heart for God. Jonah did not love everything that God loved. He was still a work in progress. He was still jacked up with, with hatred 
for his enemies, yet God still used him. This is a reminder to us as a church. If you're not dead, God's not done. That Paul says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful until it is completed. He, He will continue to work on you. You see, God used Jonah even in his weakness, even with the most pathetic sermon I've ever heard. Let me tell you, I've heard a lot of them in freshman preaching class. It gets bad, right? Uh, You know, but this has got to be one of the most pathetic sermons I've ever heard. The good news is it's not about us. It's about God. And God masters in accomplishing and perfecting his purposes through weakness, even through a five-word sermon. And I know, I know, some of you, you're like, I'm kind of hungry. I wish this was a five-word sermon right now, you know. But, you know, we're coming to an end, I promise. But, uh, so let me just say this as we wrap up. A five-word sermon can change the world if it's God's five words. It really can A five-word sermon can change the world if it's God's five words. And the hope that any person delivering God's uh, message, the, the hope that any of their messages are making any kind of a difference is the fact that God uses the weak things in this world to transform the lives for all eternity. See, Jesus is greater than Jonah because while Jonah was sent to Nineveh, Jesus was sent to the whole world. While Jonah was begrudging, Jesus willingly laid his life down. While Jonah spent three days and three nights in a fish, Jesus spent three days and three nights in a tomb. Jonah came declaring the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. When Jonah spoke, even the king left his throne and repented, bowing low. When Jesus came, he left his throne. And in Jonah's day, one nation bowed their knee But when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. See, folks, the difference is that Jesus makes repentance possible. And with that, it circles back to what I believe is the thesis statement in the book of Jonah, found in the second chapter of this book, chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation comes from the Lord. Through the weakness of the cross, the weakness of death, Jesus prepared the way for salvation. One day God's mercy will come to an end. We don't know if it's today. We don't know if it's tomorrow, 40 days, 40 years from now. We we don't know. It's not really the point. The point is that all of us have sinned. That some of us, we've sinned like Jonah in our disobedience We've been running from God and we took off as far as we could run. And others of us have been running from God, just like Jonah did in chapter four in obedience, where you do everything God tells you to, but you do it for all the wrong reasons. You do it so that God will owe you something. You don't do it because you get to. You do it because you feel like you have to. And Jesus says that's a picture of what the religious leaders look like. And so in our disobedience... Or in our obedience, the problem is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we are all in need of God's grace. 
and his forgiveness. We're all in the same boat that Jonah found himself in, needing a do-over, needing a second chance. God's message this morning to you is that through Jesus Christ, there is hope. Because salvation comes from the Lord. It's not up to you. And how good you can be or how successful you are at following some set of rules. The good news is you can't earn it. It's God's gift to you that if you're not dead, then God's not done working in your life. And if you will surrender your life to him today, he will continue to work in you until you are complete. And that's this message that we see here in chapter three. And so really just the thought I want to leave you here this morning with is simply this. What's your Nineveh? What's your Nineveh? You know, where is God sending you? Who is he sending you to to speak five words that their lives may be changed for the better? Where's your Nineveh? You pray with me? Lord, we have... Again, we just thank you uh, for today. We thank you for this ability we have to just gather together with each other, to just enjoy each other's company, to be uh, encouraged by each other in this uh, journey that we're on with you. Lord, we're so grateful that we can come uh, here this morning and just declare your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your grace. It's so evident in this book. We thank you for the grace that you give to us when we don't deserve it. Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus who makes all this possible. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.